2: Lead prospect writer James Anderson, great to be back talking prospects with you, James. This is our second go of the pod today. Uh, some audio issues. Hopefully, we never have to re-record a podcast again after this. Uh, but we couldn't, you know, couldn't upload some spotty audio and some weird crackling sound. So our second go. Hopefully, this audio is a little better, James. How are you doing today? Even though I already know the well- answer.
3: You know, recording the same podcast for a second time, so hanging in there always ideal.
2: Between the first and the second show, though, James, your Brewers signed Colton Wong. Any uh, initial thoughts?
3: <clears throat> yeah, man, what a what a signing! I, lo- I love uh, it. Yeah, I, I actually have some uh, Colton Wong and some dynasty leagues, so I I like it there. I am really really ecstatic that i don't have to watch Keston hero play much second base in the you know short term here ideally i mean i'm sure maybe against some some lefties he might be over there but um yeah it's a it's a good signing for the brewers i mean i, I think you you're, you're going to see a lot of people talking about how it's a good signing on twitter and how colton long's fantasy value is is trending up
2: and and how yeah. it helps the pitching staff not yeah. having Keston over there, and Keston to first, probably, and, that, and then what? Uh, Swaggy V? That's a name. That—that's a nickname that hasn't been said on this show in a while. Swaggy V to the bench? To
3: DH? Well, I think we'll see what happens with the DH. Um, if there's a DH in the NL, then I think you'll see uh, Vogelbach and Hira platoon at DH, and then Hero would start at first base against Wrighty's um that makes sense but if yeah. there if there is no dh you know i don't know how i don't know if that bogobock contract is fully guaranteed or not i i wouldn't be surprised if it's not fully guaranteed in case there is no dh because i can't really picture them carrying him without the dh in the nl but um yeah i mean, I think, I think kira will be first base slash dh and maybe he gets some starts at second base against lefties but uh he'll first base will be his primary position moving forward and I'm sure he'll still be terrible there, but it probably won't cost the team as many runs with him at first base as it did at second base.
2: Yeah, that's that's probably right. Uh, we are on YouTube, by the way, and if you're watching there, I have shaved my beard, mostly just getting a fresh start after the magazine essentially put to rest. James, congrats to you. Great work. You wrote 200-plus prospect outlooks, your top 200 out of 400 in there, and also ranking the rookies. So you had a— Obviously, a huge role in it. Congrats on a job well done, my friend.
3: Yeah, right back at you. Thank um, you. You you put in a ton of put put in a ton of work uh, behind the scenes. I mean, as uh, did definitely you. the as did you. yeah. I mean, it's it's good to be done with that though, so we can focus on our normal uh, content for February and March.
2: Yeah, it's just good to put a bow on that, send it off to the printers, and uh, I want to stress, though, that that is not going to be on newsstands this year, given the COVID-19 pandemic. So the only place to get yours is rotowire.com slash magazine. Again, rotawire.com slash magazine. I think for subscribers, it's only like five ninety nine. It's a really good deal. And if you appreciate James's work, you appreciate my work. And uh, also, you know, Rob Silver's in the art in the magazine this year. Joe Sheehan, we have Alex Chamberlain. So uh, please support the, uh, the work they did, and that we did, if if you can. Uh, James, your idea for the show today was pretty much just a prospect you know, mailbag, and you threw, threw out the request on Twitter, got some good responses, so let's just dive in. Uh, Eddie Willis wanted to know, with the minor leagues in flux, does this impact who you target in first-year player drafts? Do international guys get a bump because they're still playing, hitters over pitchers because there's more data from the alternate site slash batting cages? How do you evaluate with no games being played?
3: I would just say don't overthink it, especially with the first-year player drafts. I mean, the, everyone's kind of in the same boat there. Uh, the international guys have, have pretty much done about what they would have done in a normal year. Um, you know, the some of the best prospects from the draft went to their alternate sites and everything, so uh just don't overthink it. I mean, the, the hitters over pitchers thing, I think you may be reading a little too much into it there. Um, you know, we still get pitch velocity data on pitchers. So, you know, exit velocity data on hitters versus pitch velocity data on pitchers. I mean, it, it kind of canceled each other out there.
2: Very nice. Then Chris Valencia asked, do you think Wander Franco debuts in 2021 and at which position?
3: I I think he does, but I am not super confident in that. I think it, it's not a foregone conclusion that he debuts this year. I think the the shoulder injury is a initial obstacle perhaps to him having a a big spring training Um, that, that could impact his performance early on in the season. And then you know it's what type of role opens up at the big league level. If it's everyday playing time somewhere, um, if they trade Willie Adams, that would go a long way to helping Wander Franco debut this year. If uh, Adamas or Brandon Lowe or Brandon Lau or um Joey Wendell suffered a, an injury, that would that would definitely help him get in there. But if it's just to to take up a spot on the bench, I think they would go with someone like, Vidal Bruhan or Taylor Walls probably over Franco, so um, we'll see. I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways it could happen. Uh, he will debut with shortstop eligibility in pretty much all leagues because that's where he's listed right now. And then uh, third base is definitely a possibility. Uh, second base is is a possibility as well. I mean, he could he could end the year eligible in all three of those spots if he does get the call.
2: When we talked earlier, you put it about you know sixty forty, and I was a little surprised by that. Um, Just, you know, people drafting Willie, Ad- or not Willie Adamas, Wander Franco like he's going to be a, a staple in their lineup this year. And it doesn't sound like you're so sure that he does get the call. He's still your number one prospect, though. Uh, I'm liking these Willie Adamas to the Reds rumors. I think that could be a good fit. That would, of course, pave the way. When we talked to Ralph Lifschitz on our show, the XM show recently, he mentioned that over at Prospects Live they have – bumped up Jared Kelnick into the number 1 spot and they had some concerns about or he mentioned some concerns about the uh, batted ball numbers with Franco and maybe some like a ground ball lean um is that starting to to creep in like do, do you have some concerns about how the bat will play
3: not long term but i i think it's a it's a short term issue for sure um you know it's it's not too dissimilar from what we've seen with Vlad Jr where it's just the production hasn't quite uh, met expectations because he's putting too many balls on the ground. Um, You know, when you look at Wander Franco's track record in the minor leagues, you know, the the ground ball rates higher than you'd like to see, but the production has just been so off the charts that it's like, I'm not, I'm not surprised that he hasn't overhauled his swing when he's been, at least fifty percent better than the average hitter in every league he's played in, and walked more than he struck out. Um, so I, I just think there's a ton to work work with there from a skill standpoint and a tool standpoint, and he'll he'll eventually get it all straightened out. Uh, I definitely would take Kellnick over him ten times out of ten for 2021, though, and that's that's not a. I mean that that's a legitimate argument in Kellnick's favor.
2: Yeah, I just. I thought that was an interesting tidbit from from Ralph Lifschitz and our friends over at Prospects Live. And just wanted to get your take. Uh, Joe McHugh says, there's a pack of starters, James, on your top 400 that are all close or have had debuts. Clark Schmidt to Daniel Lynch. Can you talk about some floor versus ceiling guys in that range and expectations for 21-22? And for this exercise, let's just assume no one has Tommy John for this
3: yeah so the range he's talking about is 48 to 56 uh clark schmidt casey mize michael Kopeck, spencer howard logan gilbert edward cabrera simeon woods richardson daniel lynch uh honestly there's there's not a ton from a floor or ceiling standpoint that distinguishes any of those guys for me which is why they're so bunched up um you know that they, they all have number two starter upside. I think I think Clark Schmidt, Casey Mize, Logan Gilbert, and Simeon Woods Richardson are probably the best bets to be long-term starting pitchers. Uh, when you factor in arsenal, command, pitchability, um, Michael Kopech is a, is a total wild card. He's he's got amazing stuff when he's on the command, you know, we'll, we'll see how his command looks when he comes back this year. Spencer Howard, it's, it's really kind of all about durability. Uh, he's got as high a ceiling as any of these guys. He flashed that in the, the Arizona fall league back in 2019, but obviously it was a different pitcher this past year. So we'll see how he holds up under a starter's workload. Uh, Edward Cabrera and Daniel Lynch are pretty similar. Um, really really great fastballs, great, uh, breaking balls. We'll, we'll see how the, the changeup kind of comes along with those guys, but, um, it's, it's tough. It's really tough to differentiate. I think the, the notion of floor and ceiling with pitchers, I think often gets over, overused and overstated because there's so many pitchers where you would have set a certain floor or a certain ceiling when they were a prospect and then it just completely changes. And, mm-hmm. You know, it's probably going to come down to command with all these guys. If we if we're assuming they're all healthy, like who commands their fastball the best? Um, you know, I think that 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 typically is what kind of ends up determining whether you're a number two or a number three.
2: You know, we were both pretty in on Clark Schmidt last year in the main event that we shared together. We picked him up and stashed him uh, without any fruits for our stashing labor. Um, and I'm doing this first pitch Arizona speakers draft right now with a with a stacked crew of of players and we're now in the 33rd round and Clark Schmidt's still hanging around. I'm trying to like force that recency bias of getting burned a little bit out of my head. And I I may take Reyes Moronta over him, but I need to, uh, I still think there's quite a bright future with Schmidt, just the way they broke him in kind of in the bullpen. Didn't seem to really trust him. I think, you know, obviously with, with all pitchers after they debut, they lose some shine. The, uh, new car off the lot type of thing. But uh he's hanging around a little bit further, a bit longer than I expected. And I've, I'm eyeing up Clark Schmidt in this draft. Uh Joe McHugh, uh, we already got to Joe's question. Scott says he sees a lot of parallels between Brent Honeywell and Forrest Whitley. How are you by far the highest on Whitley? But Honeywell has dropped like a stone. Can you explain the disparity?
3: Sure. Yeah, well, I mean, Honeywell... I think he probably did drop on this last update but i mean he's been well outside my top 100 for a while um and there's not a ton separating mid middle of the like 100s versus middle of the 200s but um you know honeywell i i I like the best version of force whitley more than i like the best version of brent honeywell so there's one starting point uh honeywell is almost three years older than whitley he has one minor league option remaining, uh, so there's there's kind of a, a ticking clock here with Honeywell, where he probably gets uh, worked in in relief at least initially. Um, you know, team context doesn't really help Honeywell either. The, the Rays are not necessarily uh, going to need to stretch him out um, to extract value, given how much talent they have on the roster. And all of Honeywell's struggles have been health related. Like he hasn't pitched for four years or whatever, whatever it is, just because of health. Uh, Whitley's struggles have been twofold. I mean, there's there've been health issues, uh, but there have also been some performance issues. And he's a six-seven pitcher who's still just 23 years old. Um, like Tyler Glass now didn't really put things together until he was like 25, 26, and you'll see that is not uncommon with those sort of really long lanky pitchers. So um, I think Whitley has always had a higher ceiling than Honeywell. And I think that there's just less of that just crazy health track record that that Honeywell's had, uh, which to me is, it's more kind of um, like, it reminds me of Kyle Zimmer with the Royals back in the day. Um, Just, just one of those guys who just, it's one thing after the other with the arm and it's just been kind of nonstop. Whereas Whitley, Whitley's had more injuries than you'd like for sure. Um, but I, I still think there's a chance that he kind of can, can pull through this and still become the guy that I thought he was going to be. Whereas Honeywell, I think that ship is kind of sailed.
2: Yeah. I think I'm with you on that. I, we saw Honeywell in the Arizona fall league and he was, you know, throwing that screwball or whatever it is. And he just has had that huge arsenal. And we all thought, you know the future's bright but that was what f- 4 or 5 years ago and uh just injury after injury after injury and it's it's been tough to watch i'm pulling for honeywell but is he out of options now
3: he, this uh, is his last year with last option. option.
2: interesting speaking of the rays by the way they brought in chris archer and just the dollar figure on that deal the rays uh, 6.5 million makes me think they're pretty encouraged by his progress so it is uh thoracic outlet syndrome surgery which the track record you know is pretty much nil of guys returning to, to their pre-surgery self you know in total but I have to feel like that that dollar figure says they're highly encouraged by what they've seen with Archer's progress. Do you uh read that into into that signing?
3: Yeah, I mean I don't think you give him that if you're not feeling okay about him physically. Uh, I think they they also probably think they have the perfect role for him. They probably think that they they know how to best extract the most value value possible out of him. Yeah, I would,
2: I would put imagine him in a good position gonna, to succeed. Sorry to
3: interrupt you. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I think he he's definitely never gonna hit face the same hitter more than twice. Uh, probably they're gonna try to work it so that he only faces the best hitters on each team once. I mean, you can use an opener to to kind of do that. And, uh, you know, maybe you have an opener who just has a completely different uh, release point, arm angle, than archer, and, and you think that you can maybe get like 120 good innings out of him in some sort of primary pitcher role.
2: Yeah, and if he's in that, I think he's back on the fantasy radar. Obviously, you'd like to see him, but if he's in that primary role, better chance of wins and decisions. Good team, and I do trust that they will deploy him in an optimal manner. A quick note from Monkey Knife Fight. Now that our uh, your season-long fantasy basketball and fantasy hockey leagues have started, this is a great time to check out our friends at Monkey Knife Fight, the fastest-growing site in daily fantasy. The NHL and NBA are in full swing, and NFL playoffs are here. The time is now to take advantage of a 100% instant match up to $50 on your first deposit by using the promo code ROTOWIRE Visit monkeyknifefight.com and use promo code R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E today. Back to our mailbag here, James. John H. wants to know, uh, do you prefer high floor or high upside prospects?
3: Well, I I prefer high upside prospects, but I I just think there is— You don't say. This this is is kind of one of my—and I'm not not saying that John doesn't— understand this but um it's kind of one of my big pet peeves is that people will attach like oh this guy with like a really good hit tool but he doesn't have plus raw power and he's not like a 70 grade runner he's just he's mostly floor he doesn't have much ceiling whereas this guy with like 70 grade power and you know questionable hit tool has just such a high ceiling I think that a lot of the guys that people think have really high floors have really, really high ceilings because of those floors, like that base of skills that a guy like Alex Bregman or Francisco Lindor or like Anthony Rendon has as a hitter allows them to have that really high ceiling where they could be a number three hitter or a number two hitter and and just get you a ton of counting stats and they eventually tap into more power than you were expecting because they're, they're such good hitters. So, um, I think a lot of the guys that most people think of as high floor prospects actually have high ceilings as well. And it's just, people just get so obsessed with raw power or sprint speeds and, and like speed grades and stuff like that. Um, obviously the guys that have, the crazy speed like like a cj abrams like that's that's a big differentiating tool and like cj abrams probably has the highest ceiling of of any prospect in the minors because of that speed but um you know just a a guy that might be a 70 grade hitter that you only project for like 20 to 25 homer power and like 10 to 15 steals like that that could end up being ozzy albies or something like that right Mm -hmm. so i mean i just think people get a little too carried away with saying floor, ceiling, and kind of black and white uh, in terms of the analysis.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting because I feel like yeah, players get slapped at that high floor and they just are thought to ha- have no upside. But like with Frankie Lindor, Cabrian Hayes, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but like Zach Gallin, you know, wasn't yeah. perceived to have that high of an upside. So well,
3: Right, Zach Gallon. And it, it, the, the pitching side of this is is totally – Applicable as well because people will just look at velocity. But I mean, teams are now starting to realize like you can have a really good fastball that sits 94 miles an hour if it's got the right kind of vertical movement and everything like that. And Gallon was getting that number four, number five starter tag just because of his fastball velocity. But um, when you can really pitch and when you have a couple really good secondaries and you know how to sequence. And you know how to locate your fastball. I mean, I think that that just goes a long way.
2: Yeah, and yeah, just players that have that seem to have a high floor doesn't mean they don't have high upside too. Um, it's just something to keep in mind. Ryan mentions Joe Adele and Gavin Lux. Now those two players no longer meet prospect eligibility requirements that you use, James. But Ryan wanted to know where, if they did still have prospect status, would joe adele and gavin Lux fit into your current top 400
3: yeah they're both really tough to rank um i think gavin lux would be in that sort of andrew vaughn bobby witt adley rutschman range so like seven to nine and i think joe adele joe adele versus royce lewis is is a good toss-up to me like I, i think they both have uh Really intriguing combination of power and speed, and then we're just kind of TBD on where the hit tool lands and everything like that. So I think I think Adele would be just outside the top ten. Lux would probably be uh, just inside the top ten.
2: Nice. So you ended up with Lux in any of your drafts so far?
3: Um, I haven't done a I haven't done a redraft league in months.
2: I, oh yeah, you did one really early in the offseason right i
3: did i did two uh draft champions in like when the playoffs were still going on and then i haven't done any real ones in a while um,
2: but you're doing a dynasty high stakes dynasty
3: draft yeah you know I, with lux it's it's really tough because um i i just love so many guys on that roster mm-hmm. and we don't know who's going to get to play and there's not a huge there's not the type of discount on Lux that I would kind of hope there would be. I mean, a guy that I think is an absolute steal right now in redraft is Chris Taylor because mm-hmm. of his uh, multiple positions where he's eligible. Like, he he kind of chips in a little bit of everything. And, yeah, he's not going to play every single day, but that Dodgers lineup is a, is a spot you want to be in.
2: Yeah, I like Chris Taylor a lot, too. I think it's second base, short, and outfield. It's mm-hmm. really nice, and yeah, I mean, I, I'd love to get him and Lux on some teams. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't seem like Lux has lost a ton of shine quite quite yet. Adele, on the other hand, his his debut was such a disaster, and Joe Madden has already mentioned that he's likely headed back to the minors, that Adele's redraft stock has just plummeted in mm-hmm. recent months. Um, at AGE Baseball News wants to know, uh, where would Dalton Varsho fall on your prospect list? No longer on there, but uh, where would he rank? And would you flip him for Chris Rodriguez or Aaron Schunk?
3: Um, Varsho would probably be down by. I'd probably have him after Joey Bart and maybe ahead of Ryan Jeffers. So, you know, borderline top one hundred. Uh, the problem with Varsho is that this could be the last year where he's eligible at catcher. I mean, we don't know that for sure, but it does seem like when he does play this year, it probably will be in the outfield. Uh, maybe he gets some starts at catcher, but um, he really needs that catcher eligibility to be overly appealing because uh, an outfielder who does what he's projected to do, I mean, those guys aren't that hard to find, whereas a catcher, I mean, that, that's... That's pretty awesome if you can get that production at catcher. Uh, the big problem is he, he's probably not going to open the air in the majors this year, so I think he's getting overdrafted in redraft leagues. Uh, if if you're in a two-catcher league, I would still take Varsho over the guys you mentioned. But in a one-catcher league, I'd probably take both Chris Rodriguez of the Angels and Aaron Schunk uh, over
2: Varsho. You and I were talking earlier this week about how Varsho's average draft position on the NFBC side has been skewed by one a rogue drafter drafted him, what, like 50, something just crazy. They're in the
3: thirties. I think.
2: <laughs> oh man. Yikes. Thanks for donating. That, might have,
3: that, that had to have been some sort of like timeout. He was in the queue
2: situation. Type oh of thing. yeah, probably. Yeah. That's not a guy you want in your queue. Even. that. <laughs> um, yeah, but even though that ADP has been skewed, I still think he's, Generally, if you take that pick out, he's still being overdrafted. Right. Just because yeah, they like Carson Kelly and Varsha's got to move around and just yeah, maybe time in the minors, who knows. Rob Middleman asks, how much does a prospect's current position in the field affect your rankings? Let's start with that one, then we can get on to the rest of Rob's questions.
3: Yeah, it really doesn't um, unless – I think that their defense is so bad that it could cost them playing time. Like, if it's just if a guy's projected to just be fine at the positions he's supposed to play, then I don't really care which position he play, plays. Like, out of any of the infield spots, any of the outfield spots, doesn't really matter. But um, like Ryan Mountcastle, Willie Calhoun, Francisco Mejia are some guys that I've been lower on in the past because of just how bad their defense is. It really puts that much more pressure on them to hit. Um, and Mountcastle's in a nice spot because he doesn't have many people pushing him, pushing him in, in Baltimore. But uh, in general, like if you're a really bad fielder, then that means you have to be one of the best hitters on your team to play on, on most rosters. So um, when a guy's really bad defensively, like Willie Calhoun, I'm going to be lower on them. Um, and then I guess we can get into his, uh, his uh, specific farm system questions.
2: Yeah, um, I was going to go to um, Nolan Gorman. Does he take a hit because of Nolan Arenado's arrival?
3: Yeah, I, I don't think so. Just because the Cardinals are really starved for position player prospects of Gorman's caliber, so whenever he's ready, he'll either play some combination of DH, left field, you know, maybe some first base and Goldie can DH. Like they'll find a spot for him just because of the way that system is. Uh, it, it's a, it's a pretty weak system right now. And they've got a lot invested in Gorman. So I think this just kind of buys him a little bit more time in the minors. Um, he wasn't going to be a standout third baseman anyway. So I think they'll just, they'll find a spot for his bat.
2: And then finally, from Rob, you know, I think most organizations probably can't have too many shortstops, but he wants to know if the Jays maybe have too many shortstops with Bo already there.
3: Well, I think they have too many third basemen. Um, you know they they have a lot of guys who were drafted or signed as shortstops. Uh,
2: yeah,
3: Austin Martin played a little shortstop in college. Jordan Groshans was a shortstop in high school, or Elvis Martinez was signed as a shortstop. Um, but all all those guys are going to end up at third base or somewhere else. And um, you know Groshans, if he hits as expected, the battle play anywhere. So you'll find a spot for him whether it's the outfield or third base or first base dh whatever austin martin can play all over the field so i don't really think it matters with him or elvis martinez is probably three years away so i don't think it really matters with him uh where you run into trouble is where the rays are kind of right now and i I touched on that in uh, the, the farm futures piece that went up yesterday like the rays just have this glut of middle infielders slash center fielders who are all pretty good prospects, but they're not game-changer prospects. They're not guys that are just going to play no matter what. So it kind of hurts all of them because you just don't know which guy is going to get the opportunity. They're, they're going to have really short leashes. They might just be stuck in like a three to four days a week type of thing. So I, that's where it really hurts is when you have a bunch of guys that are close to the majors but aren't elite prospects. That's where that's where you factor in.
2: We'll pause for a quick second to bring you word from Bet MGM. Sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise. That's why BetMGM has teamed up with RotoWire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six-month RotoWire subscription when they place their first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website and use promo code ROTO, that's R-O-T-O, to claim your free subscription once you make your first sports wager, You'll receive a season's length of Rotowire's unmatched sports insights. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sports books by signing up and placing your first bet today. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, and New Jersey only. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522- 4,700 in Colorado and Nevada and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call one eight hundred nine 9 with it in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. Back to the mailbag, James. Uh, Chris wants to know, when do you think Spencer Torkelson debuts? Any chance he gets to AAA in 2021?
3: I think Torque debuts in early 2022. Um, He might debut like the same week or the same month as Riley Green. I think Riley Green's going to open at AA and Torkelson's going to open at high A. Uh, I think Torkelson probably spends the bulk of this year at AA. And if he, kind of kicks the door down he'll get to AAA, but um i, I think toric will be a guy that you're gonna see getting drafted inside the top 200 in drafts next year
2: nice i can see that uh michael raymond asks what do you think are realistic numbers for Leodi Tavares this season and do you think he leads off for texas
3: i do think he leads off i mean he led off for them last year they've they're even more uh embracing of a rebuild right now than they were last year and he's one of the only guys on the 40-man roster who is clearly an everyday player for them long term so uh, I think you would have to do really poorly over multiple weeks um, to, to fall out of that leadoff spot or fall out of the job and uh, I kind of buy the projection systems. I don't. I don't know why the Bat X and the Bat have him for um, only thirteen steals, but uh, I think he's twenty plus steals, double digit homers, batting average kind of around two forty. Um, so I'm I'm totally cool with where he's going in drafts. I mean, there's some risk there, but this isn't a this isn't a bad baseball player like a uh, Malik Smith um type of situation. Like Leody Tavares is a good center fielder with a bright future, and he's one of the only guys that has a bright future on this roster, so I, I feel pretty good about him where he's gone.
2: Yeah, I know they brought back Delino to Shields on a minor league deal, but I don't think uh he's the future and I think they realize that. Um there is some risk he gets sent back to the minors if he gets off to a slow start, but yeah the speed where he's going uh, it's pretty reasonable. Not not quite the speed tax you see with a lot of other young speedsters. Uh, Batman Baseball on Twitter wants to know, what two pitching prospects after 100 do you like the most to end up top 50 by this time next year?
3: So, I wrote down four names. Uh, I think you're, you're probably looking at the prep arms from recent drafts. There are some guys that are right outside the top 200, but uh, you know, maybe with the exception of Jackson Rutledge, I don't see those guys moving into the top 50. Um, so Mick Abel, Daniel Espino, Blake Walston, Quinn Priester. Um, if you if you maybe pick two, probably Abel and uh, They All those guys have really high ceilings, really great stuff. Um, still all really risky, just kind of given that they're high school arms. Um, you know, probably two of them will end up needing some sort of surgery before the start of next season. And then the other two will probably have really good years and, and be kind of knocking on the door of the top 50.
2: Very, very nice. Uh, Tyler wants to know a couple prospects, uh, a couple of value prospects to target who have an ETA within two years. Sounds like he's pushing to compete pretty soon.
3: Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to give you, some guys that I think are pretty undervalued, at least based on drafts I've seen and questions I've gotten, uh, Aaron Schunk, uh, on the Rockies who I have just inside my top 100. He seems to be a guy that some of, uh, our subscribers are kind of playing chicken with in their first year player drafts where he's the top guy in my rankings, but they're trying to figure out where they need to take him. Uh, I think he's, the Rockies, he's playing every every day somewhere for the Rockies at some point in 2022. And then Jared Schuster, uh, who the, the Braves selected in last year's draft, I think he's a guy that uh, people are a little too low on. Uh, I kind of buy into the the changes and the improved stuff his last year in college. And I think he could be a guy that's pitching in that rotation sometime in 2022. And he's someone that's falling a lot in first-year player drafts.
2: Russell Withers says he's been drafting Tyler Ivy in the final round of DCs. Of course, DCs referring to draft champions drafts on the NFC. 50 round draft and hold. So uh, pick 50, you know, not a lot of downside, but is there actually a chance that Tyler Ivy pans out as a late pick in 2021?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think he probably debuts if he stays healthy. He's on the 40 man. Uh, the and I mean, he's going to open at AAA. uh, the big question for me is just, is he going to be ready to handle a starter's workload this year? Because that was kind of the issue heading into last year. And of course he didn't really get to answer that question, um, based on how 2020 went. So, and he's also someone that even when he's been healthy, the Astros have really limited to like three and four inning outings. So I think he might be used as kind of a multi-inning bullpen guy this year, Um, someone someone I'd like to take a flyer on for the Astros is Luis Garcia but you probably can't get him in the 50th round I I don't mind Ivy in the 50th round but I just worry about how many times he'll actually be used as a traditional starter if he does come up
2: Sean asks do you think Hudson Head can bounce back up the rankings with will his talent overcome the Pirates developmental system
3: so I know other people have Hudson Head ranked a lot higher than I do, but Hudson Head actually did move up my rankings on this last update. Uh, He's inside the top 200. I still don't like the swing. I don't like the hit tool. I think he's going to strike out too much, Um, but the power and speed is is definitely enticing. And, you know, I think the Pirates... The Pirates have just been the butt of so many jokes from a developmental standpoint. I think it's important to remember that they do have a different regime than the one that couldn't figure out what to do with Garrett Cole or Tyler Glass now. And uh, I mean we saw Cabrian Hayes really surprise people last year. I, I just think it's too early to say that this new regime can't develop talent. I think it's more on just how many what's what's Hudson Head's strikeout rate like at low A, what's it like at high A? That that's more important to me.
2: Very nice, man. Well, we're wrapping things up here with uh, another question from Sean. Actually, did not see Bayron Laura in your top 400. I know some. He says he knows some others have him near their top 100. What is it that makes you concerned, and what could uh, Laura's upside be?
3: Yeah, he's just he's bigger than almost any baseball player his age who's gone on to have success. Uh, he's like six five he's listed at 65 240 and he's 18 years old and i th- that might be generous um you know it it's it's like a jordan alvarez type of body uh and probably worse than jordan's was at the same age so um you know maybe maybe there's a chance that he is able to make it work uh and make enough contact and you know, I, I think DH is is by far the most likely outcome for him defensively. So that really puts a lot of pressure on him to to make enough contact. I just, I think he's too big. I think these are the type of J two guys that bust really quickly, and they get into pro ball, and you're just like, oh wait, never mind. Um, but I, I mean, I could be wrong, but it's just not someone that I would recommend using a roster spot on.
2: I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I imagine similar concerns with Jason Dominguez. Uh, you have him nineteenth, which is still high, and he's only seventeen years old. But man, I'm seeing that guy, and it's just he's he's huge for seventeen.
3: Yeah, um, I mean, <laughs> Laura is built like uh, like an like a future offensive lineman, and Dominguez is built like an edge rusher, kind of <laughs> like they they both they both kind of have football bodies for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Dominguez. Is you know he's got a chance to just be so special uh, with his physical tools like his back speed. I mean, I think he, he's not going to be a seventy grade runner, but I, I think he could hold plus speed. I mean, he's just so athletic and so
2: strong. Uh, Did you see that just, MLB tweet by the way about Dominguez? Yeah, where yeah, what was it? <laughs> Mickey Mantle and yeah, um, Babe or not yeah. Babe <laughs> but like. Three of the greatest players ever were his player comps.
3: Is is MLB like MLB has to just be sort of trolling everyone for like interaction on social media, oh, right? Yes, like, yeah, because they know like people Jonathan, are gonna
2: they're gonna well, back have backlash that Donovan
3: Solano over Ozzy Albie's oh God. thing when they were doing the
2: second the base shredder thing.
3: and it, yeah, it's like you know that they're just doing that to to generate. Like chatter, right? Because if if they just released a non controversial ranking of second baseman, who the hell would tweet about it?
2: That's probably true. That was just egregious, though. Just insane. We had Rob Silver on our XM show last week. We should have him back on just to bury the shredder. I mean, (laughs) the shredder. Donovan Solano over like Ozzy Albies at second base. I found this tweet, by the way, Jason Dominguez. Bo Jackson, Mickey Mantle, Mike Trout. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, everybody's like, Oh, we wonder why these guys fall short of expectations sometimes. And yeah, that's I
3: actually don't I don't mind the Bo Jackson
2: count. Yeah, like, that's not bad.
3: That one that one, like, he's the rarest of the rare like Bo Jackson, like they teach you like when you're a scout, like Bo Jackson's one of the guys you're not allowed to cop people to because there's just never gonna be another like him. Uh but Dominguez kind of looks <laughs> looks a little bit like Bo Jackson, but um yeah, I mean, the other
2: two are just insane. Yeah, the, the shredder just is amazing. And uh, you're probably right that MLB probably knows better, tweeting from their official account, things like that. But they're just trying to stir up some uh, conversation. I get it. At Conqueso and at MyFantasyLuck ask you pretty similar questions about Jordan Westberg, James. Uh, top 40 on some first-year player drafts? You're not so high on it.
3: Yeah. From two different accounts, I got basically the exact same question. And so I don't know if it's a bot or someone related to Westberg or something, but, um, you know, he's just, he's someone that in my pre-draft evaluations, I just didn't walk away liking, I, I didn't like the swing. I didn't like, uh, the strikeout rate given the lack of game power, uh, He seemed like a guy that had probably already peaked physically and might have been declining as a runner. And so I just – I wasn't high on him pre-draft. He went higher than I expected him to go. But that just wasn't – that wasn't enough for me to really jump in. And there's definitely – I mean, he – if I was just ranking these, like, strictly, like, these are the 100 best guys to draft – Sure he probably should be in the top 100 but if I put him at 80 or if I don't rank him you're not going to end up with Jordan Westerberg regardless so I wanted to include another uh, international guy that I really liked for people who wanted to throw darts late um, because I mean I'm low enough on Westerberg that you're not you're not getting him uh, for my rankings regardless of where I put him
2: well two more questions James I really appreciate you doing this second go I know all of our listeners do as well um, Yeah, thanks for making it work this afternoon. Barry Baker asks, Milkar Perez or Jesus Parra, who has the higher ceiling? Well,
3: Barry Barry has probably thought about these two more than I have. Um, Barry loves diving uh, for obscure international guys who might pop. Um, Parra is the guy with more raw power right now. And so I, I'll go with Para for the higher ceiling. I mean, neither of them are going to run much. Um, you know, we'll see how much they hit. But if one of them turns into a twenty-plus homer guy, it would be Para. So um, Perez is in the Mariner system. Para's in the Brewer system. A couple guys to watch this year. If
2: you're just kind of joining us on this program uh, today. Uh, You may have missed that Ian Kahn has joined the athletic exclusively. He's been doing our dynasty rankings for a few years. So with him leaving, James, you are going to be taking those over and AJ Smith wanted to know, when are you planning to release your dynasty rankings?
3: Yeah, I am going to release those next week. Hopefully that'll be our topic of conversation on the podcast next week. Um, I'm, I'm taking feedback if, if any subscribers want to let me know whether they'd prefer it to just be kind of the same format as Ian's. He always ranked for 15-team, um, two-catcher leagues, standard, roto. I'm open to ranking for leagues that start 20-catchers, leagues that start 30-catchers, 20-team um, leagues, 15-team leagues, OBP leagues, like if if someone has like strong feelings on that, let me know because I I can kind of uh, adjust those and and sort of tailor those as as the users want. But those will be released uh, next week.
2: Very cool, man. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to talking with you. Not only on this show, but every Friday and Saturday on SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Radio, we're going to have a ton of guests. Uh, so if you want more of us talking baseball, we'll be doing that two hours every Friday and Saturday. James, really thanks a ton for making this work and re-recording with me. Anything else you want to mention before we sign off today?
3: Oh, man. Um, feels good to be back in the swing of things. Uh, yeah. Looking forward to doing it again next week.
2: Same, and congrats again on all the hard work and completing the mag. You were the man. And uh, can't wait to talk soon, James. I hope you'll join us next week Little the of across